we defined what providence is, and we saw that providence is all about God. That was the first thing. And we saw under providence being all about God, we saw that providence begins when? At creation. Providence begins at creation. Because without creation, there's no providence. Without creation, there's nothing God to govern. There's nothing God to ordain. So providence begins at creation. And then secondly, we saw that providence continues with creation. And then thirdly, we saw that providence ends with God. That was under the first point. And then secondly, we saw that providence covers everything. And under that, we saw that it means God alone determines providence. It is him alone who is the author, who is the one who ordains. It is him alone who determines providence. And then secondly, we saw that uh, providence covering everything means that God providence covers all things. <clears throat> and then thirdly, it is inevitable because if providence is all about God, if providence covers everything, it is inevitable that providence is good. That was the third point. This morning, I'd like us to, to look at the topic of providence and sin. So we've seen that God governs everything from the smallest to the greatest. God rules over all things in his good, wise counsel and is free to work using his means. We saw that God is the primary cause of everything. And God is the secondary cause because he has appointed the means through which everything uh, happens. The third paragraph of chapter 5 of the Confession says, God, in his ordinary uh, providence, makes use of means, yet he is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. So God is free to use means, but he's free to work beyond those means. He's free to work against those means. He's free to work without those means. We saw the example of Abraham and Sarah. They were old. Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah's womb, we are told that it is dead. But God takes the ordinary means because Isaac is conceived just like all of us. God takes the ordinary means and he overrules the ordinary means. And we see, we saw that God's means is not apart from the ordinary means, but it is above the ordinary means. We also saw the example of the three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We were told in Daniel that the furnaces heat up seven times hotter. In fact, we were told that the guards who are responsible to who are responsible in taking uh, in taking them into the furnace. What happens to them? They are consumed with fire. And the three Hebrew uh, men, they are thrown into the fire, but the fire does not consume them. 
fire does not consume them, they do not die. It even says that they do not even have a smell of smoke. So God is free to do whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases. So this morning we come to the issue of providence and the fall. Issue of providence and sin. I'll read the fourth paragraph of the confession, chapter 5. The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence that his determinate counsel extended itself even to, even to the first fall and all other sinful actions, both of angels and men, and that not by a bare permission, which also he most wisely and powerfully boundeth, and otherwise ordereth and governeth in a manifold dispensation to his most holy ends. Yet so, as the sinfulness of their acts proceedeth not from the creatures, sorry, proceedeth only from the creatures and not from God, who being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. Like us to see three things there. Um, <clears throat> Confession deals here with the issue of providence in relation to sin. And the first thing I'd like you to see there is providence extends, as it says there, to the fall, and not only to the fall, but all other sinful acts. It extends even with the fall of angels. It extends even with the sin that we commit and we will commit. And then secondly, I'd like us to see from that paragraph that sin is not a result of bare permission. Sin is not a result of bare permission by God. And then thirdly, it says that God is neither the author and approver of sin. So the providence of God extends to the fall and all other sinful acts. Let us remember first of all that it was the fall that made it necessary for God's redeeming power. If there was no fall, there'll be no redeemer. There'll be no redemption. If there was no fall, would there be anything like divine election by grace. It was the fall that made it necessary for God to choose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. You have to see that election, sending his son to die in our place, all of that is decreed by God in eternity past, before time began. So as God decreed salvation before the foundation of the world, he also decreed what? The fall. It was the fall that made it necessary for salvation to happen. The confession says that evil does not only extend to the fall of Adam and Eve, but also to sinful actions done by men even today and the sinful actions done by angels, angels that fell. This statement does not nullify personal responsibility of your actions. 
Because the Bible says we must all give an account before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible teaches us that we are responsible for our moral disposition, whether good or bad. So to say that God's providence extends to the fall of man, it does not nullify man's responsibility. But on the other hand, it maintains God's control over the world. You see, a God who is not sovereign over all things is a God who is not sovereign. And that's why God is sovereign over everything, even sin. If you look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 30, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 30, someone can read that. the king of Ishbel would not let us pass by him. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate, that he might give him into your hands as he, as he is this day. So Moses is giving here the history of the children of Israel before they enter the promised land. And you're told here that Sihon was stingy. He refused the children of Israel to pass through his territory. Sihon did that freely. If you were to go and interview, back then, interview Sihon, why did you um, uh, um, forbid the children of Israel to pass your territory? He'll say what? No one compelled me. No one forced me. It was me myself doing that. I, I, I rejected them passing through the territory. He did that freely. He did that without compulsion. He did that voluntarily. Out of his own greed of his heart. And here God turns around and says, I caused him to do that. For what? To bring the result. That is to deliver him into the hand of the Israelites. Judges chapter 14 verse 4. You can see another illustration of providence and sin. Judges chapter 14. Someone can read from verse 1 to 4 of Judges 14. Judges 14, verse 1 to 4. Samson went down to Timah, and at Timah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came out and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, or among our people, that you must go to? take away from the uncircumcised Philistines. But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right, right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against these Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. You've been taught in your Sunday school 
when you were a child that Samson was a hero, but you're old enough to read your Bible and notice that Samson had many flaws, that he had so many problems in his life. And um, there's a problem here because he goes out and he sees a woman and he tells his father to get him that woman. That is the first problem. The second problem is that this woman is a Philistine. Israelites were not allowed to marry foreign women. Yet in verse 4 we are told that his, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Samson is responsible for his decision to marry someone who is out of faith. But the Bible says here that it was the Lord's doing. So that what might happen? That they may deliver the Philistines into the hand of Samson. Samson's desire is sinful. He's responsible for his sin. But God uses it for his own purposes to bring judgment on the Philistines. I don't think we can take that and say Samson married an unbeliever and that makes it right. You see, realize that we don't live our life trying to interpret providence according to the revealed word of God from scripture. But we ought to act according to the instructions, the precepts, the statutes, the instructions from scripture. Because the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. Second Corinthians 6 verse 14. That is the way we live our life. We live our life guided by the commandments of scripture. We have many more examples. Um, we have the example of Eli's sons. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22, we are told that Eli was very old and he kept hearing from, the, from, uh, from people about his sons, how they were laying with women who were serving at the entrance of the tent. And he goes and asks his sons, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. As he warns his sons, he instructs them not to do it. And then he says, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? And then he says, but they will not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. You see, God is sovereign over the destiny of the wicked people. But that does not diminish their responsibility in sin. They are responsible for their sin. So his providence extends even to the sinful actions of men. That should bring us comfort as, as his people because we know that whatever evil men can do to us, it is not outside the providence of God. I'm sure when you look back at your life in retrospect, you could say, such and such person hurt me. That person betrayed me. That person broke my trust. 
The Bible teaches that whatever the person did to you, they're responsible for their sin, yet God works in providence to overrule those sins and do good. So God used that sinful providence in your life, maybe to teach you patience, maybe to teach you not to trust in men, maybe to win you from the world. So we trust God to show us, to teach us, because we know that whatever God ordains is right. So the providence of God extends to the fall and all other sinful acts. And then secondly, sin is not a result of God's bare permission. Sin is not a result of God's bare permission. You know why the confession says that? Because for a long time, people have sought to take God off the hook for their sinful acts by saying, God did not will it. God only permitted it. God only allowed it. You see, if God knows all things, if God allows and permits all things to happen, then he has power to prevent it. Then he has power to permit it. So God wills it. He permits it. He allows certain things to happen because he has decreed it. Jonathan Edwards says, God decrees from all eternity to permit all the evil that ever he does permit because God's permitting is God's forbearing to act and to prevent. God's decrees from all eternity to permit all the evil that he ever permits. That's why you cannot go to a person Maybe he's lost his family in an accident. And you tell them that God did not permit it. That God did not cause it. You see, that does not help. If you lose a loved one and someone says to you, God did not take the loved one. He permitted it. You see, that does not help you. That does not comfort you because it's showing you that God is not sovereign. But when you know that God is sovereign, over all the affairs, whether painful, whether hard, you have comfort because whatever he ordains is good. So you don't tell people that the devil did it. You're elevating the devil to the point that the devil is sovereign over God. And that brings people less comfort. People live in fear. There's no comfort. So sin is not a result of God's peer permission. It's not like God is just permitting it. No. God is ordaining it. He is in the um, sinful act, allowing it to happen, and he's governing it so that sin cannot cross the borders in which God has not allowed. As, as sin happens, it is within the boundary in which God has ordained. It is not like <laughs> sin is, is loose and God cannot control it. So sin is not a result of God's bare permission. Then thirdly, God is neither the author nor approver of sin. The confession makes it very clear that it is God is not the source, is not the origin of evil. Understand that 
God has a secret will and he has his revealed will. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So who gets to know the secret things of God? God alone. No one. The revealed will, which is the moral will, is revealed to us from scripture. It is in his precepts and commands and instructions. Let me ask, are there times when moral will of God is violated and his sovereign decree is established? Are there times when God's moral will, what is revealed to us in scripture, is violated and God's sovereign decree is established? And the answer is yes, all the time. Think of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. God had decreed in eternity past to send his son into the world to die for sinners and that he will die a cruel, a violent, a painful death. Did God decree that? And the answer is yes. We know that God decreed it because we are told by Peter in Acts chapter 2 verse 23 that Jesus Christ was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So it was within God's decree. The same God who decreed the death of his son also said what? You shall not murder. So when Pilate is handing over Jesus unjustly, when the Jews are shouting, crucify him, his blood be on, on us and our children's children. When Judas betrayed him, when the Roman soldiers nailed him on the cross, each of them was violating the moral law of God. Why? Because they were committing murder. God decreed it, but it was but it was a violation of his moral will. Yet we are told that God does not approve of sin. In other words, there isn't a time when God says, This sin is part of my plan and I approve it. Take another example. Example of King Solomon's mother. Who is she? Bathsheba. We are told that in the spring when kings went out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him. I know Israel, but he remained in Jerusalem. And then late one afternoon, David was walking on the roof of the king's house and he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was beautiful and he sent and inquired about the woman. That's <clears throat> Second Samuel chapter 11. So he acquires her as wife through what? Through adultery, through murder. Yet, she'll be the mother of who? Solomon. And who is Solomon? Solomon will be in the Davidic line. The same lineage in which Christ will come forth. It is true to say that God had decreed that Christ will come through the Davidic line. Yes, it's also true to say that God did not approve of David's adultery. And you know that from Psalm 32, Psalm 51, and 2 Samuel chapter 13 and 14. God is never the approver of sin. 
This is why we can never rationalize our sinful decisions and appeal to the sovereignty of God. And often people do that. One of the most common cases is when a believer decides to marry an unbeliever. And they will say, God put this person in my life. God in his providence made me to love this person. I can't imagine living my life without this person. It must be God's will. Yet God in his revealed will, I said what? Do not be unequally yoked with non-believers. You cannot say God wants you to marry them, yet he has revealed clearly from scripture. Yes, God can overrule your sinful acts and work in providence, but we don't make choices um, when God has already revealed to us. We can never use providence of God to nullify our own sin. Even though providence and everything fits into the decree of God, it never means that God has approved of it. B.B. Warfield says that anything, good or evil, occurs in God's universe, finds its account in his positive ordering and active concurrence, while the moral quality of the deed considered in itself is rooted in the moral character of the subordinate agent acting in the circumstances and under the motives operative in each instance. Thus, all things find their unity in his eternal plan and not their unity merely, but their justification as well. Even the evil, though retaining its quality as evil and hateful to the holy God and certain to be dealt with as hateful, yet does not occur apart from his provision or against his will, but appears in the world which he has made only as the instrument by means of which he works the higher good. Something else I'd like us to see is the providence of God and our individual sin. And this is where it gets a bit personal. See, so you can think about the sin of Adam, the sin of David, the sin of Solomon and Samson. But the rubber hits the road when you start thinking about your sin, your own decisions, your own moral choices. Paragraph 5 of the Confession says, Paragraph 5 says, The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruptions of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for other just and holy ends, so that whatsoever befalls any of his elect is by his appointment for his glory and for their good. You may struggle with sin in your personal life and wonder, why can't God change my heart? Why can't God remove this sin, purge this sin from my life? 
may struggle with besetting sin. And you want to be changed. You want to be a different person. That is the prayer of a new heart. Yes, God has power to deliver you from your sin. But the caveat, the warning is, you're responsible for that sin. Your sin is not okay because God has decided not to remove it. You see, that's a dangerous thought process if we think that. There should be a level of comfort for us. That the reality in Romans chapter 7, verse 14 to 25 is true of us. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The comfort is that my sins are not outside the purposes of God. Do we always know the purposes of God? No. Do we always know his wisdom, his power, his infinite goodness? No. Yet we are told here in the, in the confession that God, for a period of time, may allow his children to struggle in their own corruption for a number of reasons. Yet, for those reasons, they fall under his good, wise will. None of the reasons there is chastisement. We have examples of scripture of God chastising sin using sin, disciplining sin using sin. Sometimes the decisions we make in life, they make us face the consequences of our sin. Yes, Jesus Christ has paid the penalty of your sin. There's no punitive justice for a believer. Yet, there's correctional, there's remedial justice to correct us. Sometimes God allows us in a situation where the sin we're experiencing is a discipline for the previous sin. And a good example is in 2 Samuel chapter 12. You can turn there. Second Samuel chapter 12. God using sin to discipline sin. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, talks about Nathan um, telling David, you're the man. You're that man who is selfish and a murderer. Then verse 10 says, now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. This is God's judgment on David. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. What do you see in the life of David after committing that heinous sin? Things begin to unravel in the sense that everything points back to his sin with Bathsheba his mother of 
Uriah. First of all, his child with Bathsheba dies. He has a son, Absalom, who rebels and threatens to overthrow him. We have a case of his daughter being raped by his son. And often, we cannot always say that if we are going, if we have a rebellious child, God is disciplining us. It could be true, it could be a different case. But we see here that all those things that happened to David and his family happened because he sinned against God. God using sin to discipline sin. Sometimes God disciplines us. Sometimes God leaves us in our sin to reveal to us what? What is in our heart. And this should cause us to be humbled. We have a tendency to think that we are not very bad people. We are not wicked. We don't even think that we are people with corrupt hearts. God allows us to struggle with particular sins to reveal to us what? The wickedness of our heart. How many times do you struggle with something in your life that is so horrible, so shameful, so vile? And it comes to your realization that you're not a good person. You're the vilest of sinners. You're the most wicked person. You realize that you're prone to wander. You're prone to leave the God that you love. You realize that you're not nearly a good Christian as you thought you were. God humbles us when we realize that we are wretched. You realize that you need a savior and you need to be more watchful of our future sins. You need to guard your heart. You need to be grateful. We need to be grateful, really, that God does not reveal to us everything about us. Because if he was to do that, surely we will be shocked, we will be in despair, we'll be hopeless. We see in paragraph 7 of the confession that providence and sin have a goal. What is the goal? He says, as the providence of God doth in general reach all creatures, so after a most special manner, it taketh care of his church and disposeth of all things to the good thereof. The goal of providence is the glory of God and for our good. Do we know how? No. We'll never have answers to everything that happened in our life, but we know that God is keeping his promises. God has the power to deliver us, and we ought to fight a good fight of faith. So to conclude, sinful behavior is under God's sovereign purpose. And as we've seen, because of your sin, you learn about yourself. That's the first thing. When you fall in sin, you learn about the truth of your heart. And a good example is in Second Chronicles, chapter 32, verse 31, Ezekiah. Second Chronicles, chapter 32, 
verse 31 the bible says and so in the matter of the envoys of the princess of babylon who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land god left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that is on his all that was in his heart second chronicles 32 31 talking about hezekiah notice there that god is not the originator of his sin god simply did what he withdrew himself so that hezekiah might know his own heart so we learn about ourselves and when you fall into sin, what should we do? We should realize that God is teaching us about our own heart. No matter how hard I try, you cannot overcome sin. God, through sin, opens our hearts to see the truths, to see the truths about our rebellion, nature, our wickedness, the ugliness of our sin. And when we see how ugly our sin is, we are repelled by it. And that doesn't make us miserable, but we run far away from sin and to God. And as I conclude, secondly, we've seen that it brings humility and chastisement. God uses sin in the life of a believer to humble them. Often we are proud. Sometimes God allows us to fall into sin to humble us to teach us the consequences of sin and to plunge that sin from our hearts. And then thirdly, lastly, to teach us dependence on him. I've already mentioned that. To teach us dependence on him so that in the future, we will not fall into the same sin. As we suffer temptation, we learn that we depend on God. We gain victory over sin through those times. Time will not allow us to say everything. Um, time is really gone. Allow me to make a closing prayer. Father, we thank you that whatever you ordain is good and right. Though we may not have, we may not have answers for things that happen in this life, yet, Lord, you are the source of all our comfort. We can depend upon you. Thank you, Father, that you loved us in Christ, that he died our sin, he washed away our sins. And nothing can separate us from that love. We pray, Father, for your people to continue to trust upon your providence. They may be frowning and afflictive, yet, Lord, we pray that we may look to you and trust in you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.